Hello and welcome back to Oral Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. And today I'm uh, putting up as my podcast the homily I gave at the 10 a.m. Mass at St. Mark, uh, discussing the story about uh, the invitation to the great wedding feast and what it means about Catholic marriage. I hope you enjoy my homily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. <clears throat> Jesus again in reply spoke to the chief priests and elders of the people in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He dispatched his servants to summon the invited guests to the feast, but they refused to come. A second time he sent other servants, saving, tell those invited, behold, I have prepared my banquet. My calves and fatted calf, cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. Some ignored the invitation and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest laid hold of his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged and sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their cities. Then he said to the servants, the feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy to come. Go out, therefore, into the main roads and invite to the feast, whomever you find. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all they found, bad and good alike. And the hall was filled with guests. But then the king came in, but when the king came in to meet the guests, he saw a man there not dressed in a wedding garment. The king said to him, my friend, how is it that you came in here without a wedding garment? But he was reduced to silence. Then the king said to his attendants, bind his hands and feet and cast him into the darkness outside where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Many are invited, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. Did you see that little girl that carried the scriptures? So two or three years ago at a um, Life Teen event, her mom and dad came with just her uh, to talk about marriage as a sacrament. and. and and how to live in a Christian way, marriage that's different from the rest of the world. All during this speech, that little girl who is maybe like, un, like a little over one, she would crawl up her mom's leg, around the back of her neck, down her side, down her leg, then over her to her dad's foot, 
same thing. And it was like watching one of those model race cars go around and around in a circle. And during the whole time, mom and dad just sat there and talked to the kids like nothing was happen happening. This little girl was just crawling all over the place and ignored me all the time because she knew who her mom and dad were. You ever think about the sign of marriage? What makes marriage beautiful? The sign of the beauty of marriage is the beauty of children. Why? Because committed love brings us to new life. This is the sacrament of marriage. It's what the story is about of this great king that invites everybody to this wedding banquet. You know, why is it that we say marriage is a sacrament? To say it's a sacrament is to say it's not something we do, it's something God does for us. So we bring children to the font and water is poured over their head and the priest says or the deacon, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That little kid's not old enough to do anything, but God does something for that little kid in response to the prayer of the mom and dad. The Eucharist, we bring gifts of bread and wine. They're human things where we've taken nature, grapes and wheat, and we made them into something human, bread and wine. And God takes that, he transforms it, and he feeds us with himself. This is the proper relationship between the human person and God. And it's, ev it's evidenced for us in marriage and the beautiful fruit of marriage, in the sacraments, but the call comes to us from scripture. Have you ever thought about marriage? Because we're at a place in the United States culture where marriage is just thought of as an agreement between two people. And any two people who are of a contractual age can make an agreement. This is what marriage has been reduced to. And it's because in the Reformation, every reforming community, the Lutherans, the Episcopalians, and the Calvinists out of Geneva, they all rejected the sacramentality of marriage. But what happens when you remove God from one of the most fundamental human relationships, a relationship that every culture depends on. So let me get you up to speed on marriage, why we think about marriage the way that we do. Do you know in the Mediterranean world, there would be the Greeks, the Jews, the Latins, the Romans. Every one of them said that marriage came into being through consent. And so even today, when you come to the altar to remember, if you can remember through that haze of those years, I, Michael, take you, Rebecca, to be my lawful wife. I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. Do you remember that? Okay, I'll say it again. <laughs> no, don't be in denial. But that's what you promised God. And it's what you promised your spouse. And God did something with that. Because that's what consent is. That's why when a dad walks his daughter down the aisle, he doesn't give her away. 
She's the only one who can give herself away. In the Protestant cultures, like in England, you needed your parents' permission to marry, and in restrictive cultures, but this isn't Christianity. In Christianity, the only person that can give themselves in marriage is husband and wife. And so it wasn't just consent, because the church also looked and made room for other cultures that were not Mediterranean cultures. The other big influence on Western culture are the barbarians. Why were they called barbarians? The Greeks thought their language all sounded like bar, 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 bar. It wasn't, it wasn't sophisticated like Greek, which is a pretty sophisticated language. But marriage for the Goths, the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, the Vandals, the Franks, who were awful, that's the, where the French come from, the Slavs, Western, Northern, Southern, uh, marriage was brought about by consummation, not consent, because the woman didn't necessarily have to consent. But in Christianizing those cultures, Here's what the church came up with as the side of marriage. It's, it is consent, but consummation is what makes marriage indissoluble. And that's why, for instance, the annulment tribunal, no priest has the authority to end a valid marriage. All a priest can do, and I've done it because I've been a judge on the tribunal, all a priest can do is say that in his opinion, based on the law and the evidence, the consent was not valid for a variety of reasons. It could be premarital pregnancy and fear of what the parents would think about it. Uh, it could just be immaturity and you had no idea of what you were doing. But still, this sign of marriage is rooted in this human ability to give yourself to another person. Think of salvation. What's different about your relationship with God from your relationship with your mom? Because your relationship with your mom is one of the most intimate relationships you could possibly have with any other human being. I mean, you lived in her womb for nine months. You probably weren't always a very respectful tenant. <laughs> but she carried you close to her heart. Now, marriage is this intimate relationship on a natural level. You share the social goods that you acquire during the course of the marriage. You become part of another person's family. And we say it's a sacrament that God takes all of these different aspects of our life, just like bread and wine, something human, and lifts it up and makes it a pathway to heaven. That marriage can make you a saint. The biggest step forward is leaving some thoughts unexpressed. And so, why talk about marriage? Because Jesus talks about it all the time. Chapter 19 of Matthew, he says, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder, because the Jewish people, just like everybody else, practiced divorce. His disciples said, who can do this? And then he says, starts talking about celibacy. And that is celibacy as a prophetic witness to what's coming. 
Because marriage is not the kingdom of heaven. At some point after about the honeymoon, you started to figure that out. But it does take every struggle that you two have together and changes the meaning and the purpose of it. Wow. It can be a challenge. But so is the spiritual life. And so in chapter 22, Jesus is using marriage as a sacramental sign. St. Paul will talk about it in Ephesians. All the Gospels talk about it. So there's this big wedding and the king's son's getting wedding. And this parable is being told to the leaders of Israel, the chief priests and the elders who all reject Jesus. And so when the great king sends his invitation out to the tenants, they all have something better to do. One's got to buy a cow, and others looking at land. Gilligan's Island reruns are on TV, but nobody comes. Why? Because reality's hard. God requires change. To change much, that's what sanctity is. And so he moves on. And he sends his servants out into the world to invite everybody. And he really describes some really unclean people because the Gentiles are unclean. And it's about the gospel going out of the Jewish people to the larger world because the Jewish people never did that. Jesus did that. It's what transformed the world transformed our understanding of what marriage is, what morality is, what the meaning of life is. But then, at the big party, someone shows up and they're not ready for a wedding feast. What's that mean? Isaiah 61, God cloaks us in the garments of salvation, the cloak of righteousness. And so what's the wedding cloak? Well, the wedding cloak is everything that the Christian life is. It's the life of faith. It's avoidance of grave sin, sin in general if you can. Mostly it's about the sacraments. Because for God to cloak us, it's something God does. For people who say that Christianity is just about being good, no. That's not what Christianity is about. But yes, Christians should be good. Christianity is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what God chooses to do for us. And so, so often we can take our faith and we can reduce it to canons, because I've just given you a nice little course on canon law. You can reduce it to the catechism, which are all explanations. But the story that each of us lives is the story that is explained to us in Scripture. Song of Songs. Before the wedding feast, the bride is cleansed in a sacred bath and then brought to her wedding. You were cleansed in the waters of baptism, the church fathers would say. And then, at the wedding feast, you're cloaked in special garments because your status is changing. You're going from Paul and Diane, to husband and wife, to father and mother, to grandma and grandpa. 
Your whole world is expanded. Because what marriage does is take you out of your small little world of self-concern and plop you into the world of concern for family, her family, his family, the community, and what it means to live in a just world. And then the banquet. Most everybody had a wedding reception. Well, that's what the Eucharist is. Always invited to a celebration of God's marriage to his church through Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. You know, all of our sacraments are multivalent. They have different ways of being understood that all point in the same direction. When we read stories in the scripture about marriage, Jesus is always really talking about marriage as a sign of our connection to God. Because it is true. Your relationship with your mother is wonderfully intimate. You probably still have cells in your body that you picked up from her. Your relationship with a spouse is very intimate and more so because it's consensual. You never agreed to be conceived and born, but you agree to be married. But your relationship with God, it's on a natural level, bread and wine. It goes to your deepest level of consent. And then in the Eucharist, if you'll just think about it, you enter into God and he enters into you. Why is it that we start every Mass reminding of ourselves that we have to be properly attired to come to this banquet? The state of grace, not aware of any intentionally chosen grave sin. Nothing we think that would offend God because we consented to something that is not him. But instead, always come knowing we need to be complete in him. Because each one of us, husband and wife, priest, like incomplete jigsaw puzzles until the missing piece is provided. And that's always God. Thank you.